Welcome to the Anifis Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host, unofficial mediator here with my colleague, official agitator, heavy emphasis on agitator, friend, and Yoda knows everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda. Hello, Yoda. Okay, so I have been stalking our guest for a little while now online, like a crazy ex-boyfriend. So I've been aware of this guest for a long time now. And so this is a good get for us. I'm very excited for this. Yeah. So our guest today first became an HVAC technician before earning her degree in mechanical engineering from Montreal's Ecole de Technologie Supérieure. Then for 21 years was a specifying sales engineer for U.S. air conditioning distributors, which began her pathway to a career as a professional speaker, certified trainer, coach, and best-selling author. And her trademark tagline, not your typical engineer, has taken her all over the world with her calling card book, How to Be a Human in a Technical World. And we're going to love to talk about that book. Welcome to the show, Ashray, colleague, motivational extraordinaire, Karine LeBanc. Wow. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Likewise. Karine, when you come back from the road doing all that you do and developing people, you're also the national sales manager for IR where your colleagues get to selfishly have you for their personal coach. Nice gig. We love talking about adjacent possibilities. You are the living definition of that. Where did that all begin? Tell us the story. So you mean I have a real job, a real paid job besides (laughs) Ashray? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on this podcast, the Edifice Complex Podcast. I'm so excited. Where I come from, Matt's story. Wow. If you notice, I have a little accent and I like to say that I don't, but you guys have an accent. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm from Quebec, originally from Quebec City, studied in Montreal. And I went to engineering because it was supposed to be a good job, even if I'm not necessarily good in math and science, but engineer was a good job, especially in Quebec, in Montreal. So I went there and after my first internship, at the airport of Montreal, I was like, oh, my God, engineering is boring. I don't think I like engineering. <laughs> oh, my God, nobody's talking. And I would come to the place and the department and bubbly and smiley. And people were thinking, what's wrong with this girl? <laughs> <laughs> and nothing wrong with the airport, nothing wrong with the internship. I just realized that maybe that was not my strength or what I was supposed to do until I had my second internship for Carrier Corporation as an inside salesperson. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm a salesperson. I love engineering. I love technical sales. And then I just kept going and I was very excited because I had actually found that I could do both. I could do the technical and also the sales. And that was one of my strengths. So super excited. And then to finish the story, my third internship, I needed to speak English because I only spoke French. So therefore, I found an internship in California, and that was also for carrier distributor. And then I got eight months, and after four months, I became fluent in English. So this is how I ended up in California and uh, working here since then, actually. I worked, and then that was it. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I want to go back. And they're like, well, yes, Karine, we would like to have you back. So 
that's it. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So again, look, just yeah. for any young graduates or undergraduate solicitors, there's a journey there, right? So mm -hmm. you go from being one language, French speaking in Montreal, and then you go to your university, you have this realization engineering is boring. And let's be honest, it is, right? <laughs> but you then sort of reinvent it. You don't throw that away, right? Yeah. You're an engineer, you learn a new language, you move to a new country, and you do other things as well as engineering, right? That's what I'm saying. If you think you're stuck in a hole, you're not. Just think laterally and move around in that space, right? There's so many ways to be an engineer, right? It's Absolutely. not staring at a quadratic equation all day, right? Do you know what I mean? When I think back at really skilled sales engineers, they're very unique, as you are, Kareen. They actually have a personality. <laughs> and, uh, but the ability to apply a technical knowledge in communicating what a device does or a system does and having the confidence because you have the engineering background and you know how these things are put together, you know the formulas that are used to design them, to select them, and then to be able to communicate that to an audience so that they actually have the same confidence in you as you have, that's a real skill set. That's not for every engineer that comes out of university, but those that have it, they can have very successful careers, as you know. Yeah, actually, I think my strength is actually simplifying complex design or complex equipment because when I do lunch and learns, they're very simple. A lot of image, a lot of stories, a lot of case studies, a lot of, oh, this happened to me on a job. It didn't work. Therefore, don't do this. And the message goes through so much easier than being, oh, this is the slide. This is the unit. This is the model number. This is what it does. You lost me after two minutes. So therefore, it's so much better. And then it's easier also to speak with the owner who doesn't have necessarily the technical problem. So if I speak with an owner, like I went on a job site last week and met with an architect. And then it was so much easier because I speak simplicity. I'm not a complex person. And I think because I was not necessarily very strong in all the math, physics and science, and I brought this more like artsy or more understanding, more human side, it really helped me better explain and communicate. What you're talking about here is what Richard Feynman, the physicist, used to say, right? If you can't explain something complex in engineering or science to someone who's not an engineer or scientist, you do not know your subject, right? Mm -hmm. When people fall back on long words and acronyms, that's a sign they ain't that good, right? I know it sounds strange, but that's the truth, right? So this is why being a sales engineer, I think, is quite a unique job, actually, right? So being an engineer is one thing, right? You've got to be technical, you've got to know your subject matter, you've got to deliver, right? But to be a sales engineer, you've got to be able to do what Richard Feynman was saying. You've got to be able to translate that complexity into words. You've got to be able to enroll with people in it, right? So I would argue sales engineering is actually a bit of an elite or certainly a specialist group, right? Because you have to put together engineering knowledge and communication skills, right? It is a Venn diagram. Yeah. And I feel like people always, yeah. oh, you're just a sales engineer. You know, it's like, oh, you guys wine and dine and party. Uh, yes, we do that. Okay, of course we do that. <laughs> That's the positive. But still, we have all the technical part, you know. So I feel like sales engineers not always have such a good reputation as a PhD, for example, or maybe 
somebody in the C-suite, maybe it's, oh, you're just a sales person. But like you said, you need very specific and special skills to do technical sales. Why do you think sales engineers or sales in general is looked down on? Because it's the thing that keeps companies going. Why is that so held in so low regard, do you think? It's perception. You know, if we're we're the fun people, the party people, and also who are they, you know, because I'm not saying all sales engineers are good, like everything else, you know, there is bad and good. So it really depends. How do you do your sales calls? How you meet people? How you present yourself? How you communicate? How you teach? All those lunch and learn? How you connect? Because you can communicate, but if you don't connect, then where is the sales going, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. So why is a customer, I'm telling you, I went to a job, I met with the owner and he told me, Karine, you're more expensive than the other person, but I'm going to go with you because I want to work with you. Then why is that? And this Uh was like more than half million dollar job. You know, it was not a small job. And I knew I was more expensive, but I was specifically told by the customer, I want your customer service. I want your expertise. And also you're pleasant to work with. So. I know that being nice is overrated. They're like, oh, being nice, who cares? But then when you know that you're going to work on a project for a year with somebody and they have already the technical expertise, but they're also nice to work with, hello, maybe I will spare a little bit more money to work with somebody that is nice, right? Yeah. You've talked about brand as a promise here, right, as well, because your engineering products, there's sales skills, but there's also a promise behind all of that, right, of delivery, ability, efficiency, and aftercare. Right. Absolutely. It's a full package. Yeah, it is. And when you think about the goodwill that companies have, part mm-hmm. of that goodwill was built on the efforts, the work that went in by the sales team. And I think about the times back in the day when I had a sales engineering company, if something ever went wrong with something, we got the call. It wasn't the engineer that got the call. It was the person that sold the equipment that got the call. Now, ultimately, the backroom support may have shown up or may have been required. But that first phone call came to us. We were that front line. So yeah, let there be no mistakes. can be a fun job, no doubt about it. But there's a huge responsibility that goes along with it. Yeah, just like you said. But the salesperson who takes care of the problems usually get more sales. So I hear it very often like, oh, I'm not going to specify that or I'm not going to buy that product anymore because of a bad job. Or I can hear, well, this was a bad equipment, but the manufacturer was right on it. They fixed it. Therefore, I can rely and specify them again or buy them again. And again, the salesperson is in charge of this because they also communicate with the manufacturer saying, hey, I'm in the person dealing with the customer. I need your support here. Maybe it's not our fault. Maybe it is. Let's work as a team. Let's work together. So again, it's not all like wine and dine and party, right? <laughs> yeah, you've got to say, look, that's really interesting because the person who never gets fired, you know what that is? It's the person that can sell something and keep clients happy. That person never gets fired. They have a name for that in the legal business. They're called rainmakers, right? They're probably the worst lawyers, but they get that work in and they keep them clients happy. That person never gets fired. It's a key thing to understand. If you deliver, no one cares how clever you are. No one cares if you graduate top of your year. People need to get over this, right? It is a misallocation of resources to get an A when you can get a C and still graduate and get an engineering license, Mm -hmm. right? Because I can tell you, I graduated top of my year in one of my degrees. 
No one cared except my mum. Literally. <laughs> Nobody cared. <laughs> oh, I Adam, you're a good boy, you. Right. <laughs> I, I really love what you said because actually when I was hired for my second internship, I say in my presentation that I do for Ashray Distinguished Lecture, I say that my interview lasted three hours. And the whole three hours, I'm thinking, he's going to ask me about site chart. He's going to ask me about technical stuff, you know, like formulas or HVAC. And I was like all stressed out, you know, the technical is going to come, the question. And all that we talked about was like family. What do I do for fun? What kind of person am I am? How I'm treating the server? You know, like yeah. all of this family. And then I was like, it's over. And then I was like, oh my God. That was so nice, right? <laughs> Not once he asked me about technical expertise because he knew that what he wanted was somebody he can work with. He wanted to know my values, what kind of person I am. And then after that, he can teach me whatever needs to be done, right? Because yeah. when you finish school, you don't know anything anyway. So what's the difference? And then I would talk to my friend who was top of the class and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And he's like, well, it's been a year and he still didn't have a job. And he was the top qualifying. And I was like, what's wrong? You were the person that helped me study. You're the break <laughs> between you and I, right? So what's wrong? But this again, is, just like you said, Adam, yeah. this is focus proof. on the human skills. Skills can be taught. Attributes have to be there, right? Who yeah, you are is who you are. Yep. Right? Yeah, we've talked about this on the show before. And, you know, when we would hire engineers out of the University of Saskatchewan, we never looked at their technical skills. I mean, we may have glanced at them, but I wanted to know what they did in the summertime. Did they deliver papers? You know, did they have a couple of jobs, right? Yeah. Tell us, we want to know about who you are as a person. Now, the fact that you got through university or college tells us that you're at least able to learn some stuff. But if you're an idiot and you have no people skills, there just isn't a place for you here. I just came back from Portugal where I did six presentations in three days. Wow. And I was only speaking to students, only one meeting that I did for professional engineers. And one of the students came to talk to me after the presentation and he said that his professor heard from the industry that they were complaining about them, about the students in general. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And he's like, well... Just like your little logo has, you have the little headphone on your, your skyscraper. Well, he says that the students were very smart. They knew a lot and they had good grades. Then they would go get hired. And the first thing they would do in the engineering office is put their headphone. It's like they couldn't uh, communicate. They couldn't have a relationship. And they were complaining to the professor. So when I went and spoke, they were like, oh, my God, perfect timing. We need to hear about it. I'm always about, hey, you need both the technical and the human, not only the technical. You need to learn that there is more to it. So when you do projects with other students, pay attention how you work in the team, because these are <laughs> things that you're going to need after, right? I love this story because it is about connection. And I'll give you an example. And Karine, you know who Dan Foss is. Well, prior to me selling my business to Dan Foss, we had supplied 50 two-inch solenoid valves to a meatpacking plant. And they arrived at the plant two days before startup. And when we got the call from their commissioning agent, they realized that the valves were supposed to be normally open, but they were normally closed. Mm. Two days before startup, 
And because of the connections that I had and had developed over the years with the people within Danfoss, get a load of this. So my guy up in Edmonton, Gail Mueller, who was a great guy, was going to drive down from Edmonton. The guys from Danfoss put the valves on a rush air freight to the Calgary International Airport. I was actually down in Lethbridge at the time. And I told Gail, okay, you go to the airport, you pick up the valves, I'll meet you in High River as I come around and we'll swap out every one of those valves before the next day, which was now at this time startup, right? Wow. So I met Gail. Gail had picked up this was like 10 o'clock at night. We go into this meatpacking plant. So people that have been in meatpacking plants, these aren't like the beach. Like these are freezers. Yeah. <laughs> and you're up like 25, 30 feet up in the catwalks because that's where all the spraying goes on. And we're up there with their service crews changing out valves. And I think we were done like 2, 2.30 in the morning, right? But that recovery just consolidated the whole meaning of the word teamwork. That was exactly what that was. They opened up. They started the meatpacking plant on time as scheduled. We took care of the issue or problem. We owned it 100%. And our vendor, who was Dan Foss at the time, just went way above and beyond. And... I will never forget that story because it's such a great story of how you can recover and what that does for your goodwill, right, as a company. Collaboration, right? You had to collaborate, but if nobody wants to work with you and help you, then... That's it. Why would I help you? I need help for those valves. I don't care about you. You're not nice to me and you're pretty actually moody and, you know, so... (laughs) But quite the opposite, because of your personality, then everybody's like, sure, what do you need? I will help you. Let's collaborate. Let's work together. Let's make it happen. But it's because of who you are, the person. Exactly. And that's so that you're right about get your headphones off. I mean, there's a time for that. You know, if you need to, you've developed those relationships and you need to get into the zone. There's a time for that. But when you're brand new and you don't know anybody and you own nothing, then all your sensory systems have to be on alert. You need to listen. You need to look. You need to ask questions. You need to be engaged. I'll tell you what, kudos for picking up those normally shut valves. They normally get picked up when they're installed and you're testing them in commissioning phase, right? You think, why is that yeah. not open? Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. And that happens a lot. And that it's a testimony and a test to how companies respond. And that's what builds up the goodwill. And that's what allows, as a sales engineer, for you to earn the respect of your clients and to earn those purchase orders is because of who you are and what you've done and what your reputation is. And if you screw that up, well, you guys know it's almost impossible to recover if you've tainted your reputation and that of your company. What you're saying there, Corinne, about teamwork is absolutely spot on. There's two things I always tell people. Everything you see around you is built on borrowed money. No one's got any money. And two, everything you see around you is delivered by a team, not an individual. And you better be good at delivering things through the actions of others or you're going to have a very limited career. So that is a good takeaway. But what I do want to talk about before we get on to communication skills is your book, right? So you're a published author. So tell us the story about your book, why you wrote it and how it all came about and what's, what's the impact has been on you. I wanted to share my story. I wanted to bring awareness and inspire people to change maybe their behavior So in that book, I talk about my story that goes from Korean version one to Korean version two. So (laughs) yeah, I don't know if you heard about my story, but the Korean version one is the young engineer out of school 
that goes into a male-dominated world. I feel like I had everything against, and some people would say, well, it's everything for you, you know? So I was young, I was female, I had an accent. So it's like when you go to a meeting then and you want to offer a solution or an option and then nobody acknowledge you, and then in that same meeting, 15 minutes after, another person mentioned that same exact solution and everybody's like, oh yeah, that's such a good idea. And then you're like, uh, I just mentioned just this like 15 minutes ago and nobody thought it was great and now suddenly it's good. So this is kind of things that I had to go through. So then I was like, okay, well, if they don't believe me, they don't trust me, I'm going to change my attitude, right? So I was starting to be stronger, more aggressive. My tone was not always the best, but I wanted to show that I'm one of the men, you know, and I wanted to be part of the club and I didn't do it on purpose. You know, it kind of changed. Just evolved. Exactly. It evolved until one day I had lunch with my mentor, Mike, and we went to sushi and he asked me, he's like, hey, Corrine, so what's going on with you? I don't know. What do you mean? What's going on? Well, I don't know. You used to be so bubbly and fun and smiley. And now, now what? (laughs) Well, you're always mad, always mad. And then that was it. That was like the moment, like the light bulb moment. I was like, oh my God, I don't like that person that I have become. I don't want to be like this. I want to go back to the fun, bubbly, nice lady that I am deep down inside. I don't want to have to prove myself. So I started learning about read books, you know, and learning. And this is where I found that emotional intelligence, what it was. And then I'm like, okay, I started reading, doing the tests, whatever I needed to do until it gave me all the tools and the guides to change. And by the way, it's a constant changing, constant transformation, right? It's never over. You always have somebody who's going to cut you off on the freeway and you're like, you just want to freak out. And you're like, no, it's fine. It happens to me too. Maybe they were late, you know, and you kind of aware of it. So after I changed, I was like, wow, I could sit everywhere. Now it was in my face. And actually on that same job site that I was last week, when I saw the architect, he didn't expect to see me. And he was like, oh, hi. Oh, you are Corrine. I'm like, yep. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you're, I'm the one that you were so mean. And all those bad email that you were yelling And then he was a different person in person. And he was like, well, I hope I didn't come across too hard. And I'm like, yes, you were. However, I just want to let you know that even if you yell, I still care. And I'm not going to work harder because you yell at me. So it's fine. You can still do it. I just want to let you know it's not going to change. And he was so different in person because it's so easy to be mean on the email like that yeah. that that it's your fault you did this where's everybody and then when you see them in person then especially when you come with a big smile like me like hi i'm kareen i'm here to help you <laughs> it's hard it's hard to be like aggressive yeah, or yeah. i love so, it yeah, so, what, maybe yeah. you know actually i can't remember the numbers but in terms of communication, tone and inflection represents some huge number, like 60% of the messages that are sent. Tone yeah. and inflection is the dog. Is that right? Is that that I, high? It's so funny you ask about this. It's called the 73855 rule. But however, there is a lot of contradiction about that rule. So this mm-hmm. rule was set. Everybody talks about it. 
but it was found that the research was not necessarily accurate. But however, what it means is the words you say account for 7% of the communication and 38% is your tone and the 55% is your body language. Right. So basically it says that it has nothing to do with the word you say, it's how you say it and what people see that really have an impact. However, like I said, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one of the challenges with email communication and communications and chat lines. I mean, there's just, you're missing so much of the message because you're just reading the words. And even if those numbers get skewed by some number, whatever, 20%, whatever it is, you're still missing a lot of the message, how the communicator intended the message to be received. I think there's a rule of communication that the meaning of your communication is the response you get. Yeah. The meaning of your communication is the response you get. And so if someone's not responding the way that you want, it's not them, right? It's how you're delivering the message. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we communicate the way we want to be communicated. That's very simple. So like I had a coaching client, he's a director of production. He's, you know, when you do the DISC, the personality assessment, he's a high D. So he's dominant and he's very detail oriented. And then he was struggling because people didn't like him and he would go to meetings. And the first thing he does in a meeting is he jump straight to work, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the sales team and the people that are more like I and team, you know, like the influencers, the friendly, they want to know how was your weekend? You know, they want to talk a little bit before you jump, but him, he didn't care. So he communicated the way he wants to be communicated. So we had some coaching and therefore I asked him, like, what do you think you could do to change this, the perception and maybe your meeting to go better and the teamwork? And I said, what do you think their personality is? And he was like, okay, well, Corinne, they're I, they're influencers, they're friendly, they're, they like the spotlight, they like attention. I'm like, okay, so now that you know that, what can you do in your next meeting? He was like, okay, well, maybe I can try to be more friendly, <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, okay, let's try it. So he tried it. We go to our next session. He was like, oh my God, Corinne, what a difference changer. So he went to the meeting and he started having more relationship, asking them. He didn't want to. He says, Karine, it was so hard. I could care less, but I didn't. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes typical engineer, you know, they want to go, they don't really care. (laughs) And then it changed. It changed the relationship between the department, between the team. And then he started knowing also more of his colleague and his co-worker because now what did you do the weekend? Oh, I went to play soccer. Oh, you play soccer. I didn't know you play soccer. There, it helps in the relationship. So, he was communicated the way he wanted to communicate, yeah. but the people that were not, they didn't like that. So it's very good to be able to say what you want to say for a different way. You know, like the more direct way, focus mm-hmm. on the big results, the detailed way, then the non-detail, because I'm a non-detail person. I'm like, forget about the detail. Did we go or not? Did we make money or not? And then the last one is more the one with empathy. Yeah. The more like the routine, the people don't like conflict, the people that don't like change, you know. So that would be the fourth way, basically. I had, I had someone that worked for me who was big on that. He used to say, Adam, when you can fake sincerity, you know you've made it. And I really like you, he said. <laughs> <laughs> but- and the opposite extreme of that is that over my career, one of the businesses that I sold, the guy that ended up responsible for now a division, 
was a narcissist. Oh. And I have zero tolerance for narcissists. And he, after several very unpleasant conversations, came out to visit our operation. And we had a large boardroom table, which he always wanted to sit at the head. So I knew that's where he was going to be. Unbeknownst, unbeknownst <laughs> to him, I shortened the chair like by 12 inches. So his chin just about hit the table. <laughs> so here's this guy with this narcissistic personality, huge, huge, like I am the best. And he looked like a little munchkin at the table. <laughs> so for those that are listening to this program, if you have any narcissistic characteristic traits, A, you may not admit that you have them. But if you ever question your personality, check those at the door because they're going to be somebody like me in the room who doesn't give a rat's ass about your yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> There's no room for that. There's a lot of them in our business. But back yeah, to your book, it's a lot of work to pump a book out. So you pushed through that. How difficult was it to actually get it done? I actually wrote it in six weeks. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I did is, which was always very hard for me, but I learned it. I ask for help. Right. Okay. And I come from a strong family. We don't ask for help. I write that in my book as well. So I ask for help. So I hire a book coach. And then the way it was done is there is four weeks on mindset right. before you even think about writing the book. And I thought this was the most incredible way of starting to write a book because if you start knowing, oh, it's going to be hard, I'm not going to be able to do it. And then how can you, are you supposed to write a book, right? But she prepares you in the right mindset. So for example, if I'm stressed out, if I'm stressed out, that means I'm in the flight or fight, meaning that I'm not creative. Do you think it's a good time to write today? <laughs> no. no, but I need to be aware of this. I need to know that there is two type. And then I was like, okay, I can work on this. Then after we took care of all the mindset and prepared everything that needs to be done, I started writing. But when I started writing, I had everything ready, the stories, what I want to do, what I want to talk about. So I could just write, 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 write. And then I had my Excel sheet. We love Excel sheet engineers, right? <laughs> and every day I would just type in, type in, type in and count how many words I have. And I started on June 1st and mid-July, I was done with 74,000 words. Wow. So. Wow. After that, it was just like the editing part and all that stuff. But just the writing part, I did in six weeks. And I think I missed two days of writing in that six weeks. So I was very, very disciplined. This is one of my, actually one of the human skills I talk in my book. So I talk about it like it's 4th of July. Everybody's at the barbecue at the beach and I'm here writing my book. <laughs> <laughs> discipline. Well, someone defined discipline as doing what you should do, not what you want to do, right? That is hardcore stuff. Most people cannot do that, it turns out. Yes. Adam, you just released a book. Where do you sit on that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did not. So I am like the opposite of Corinne. Like, I was all over the place like a crazy person. I did it on like a lot of borrowed time. What I should have done was, with hindsight, <laughs> I should have just carved a month off and turned everything off and done it. So my next book, that's what I'm going to do. After I get back from my next Middle East trip, I'm taking some vacation time. I'm just going to like go into a hole, turn all my stuff off and finish it. Adam, I love this because I was very clear. Yeah. I was so clear that if I'm writing a book, it's going to be fast. 
Yeah. And it's going to be down to it. I didn't want to take long time and I didn't want it so much that I self-publish. Because yeah. if I had to do it a traditional way, then it would take me a year, two years. And I'm like, oh, no, no way, Jose. I'm self-publishing. So yeah. basically in December, I was ready to go. And in January, it was on sales. So I started the process on May 1st. Started yeah. writing on June 1st and January 28th, my book was in Amazon. So yeah, just, that's it. For anyone listening, that is very fast what Corinne put off there. I mean, I was a year and a bit. And what I found was as well, once you get your first draft done, that's half of it. That the editing, the layout, the, the cover, it's just a lot of work. And uh, yeah, again, you don't know till you do it, right? So I salute you on that really rapid mm-hmm. delivery. The Edifice Complex will continue in just a moment. Are you struggling with paperwork, spreadsheet overload, and project management? Then Blue Rhythm is the solution to help you. Streamline your commissioning and project management process. Go paperless, increase efficiency, and save money. Blue Rhythm is commissioning and project management software by practitioners for practitioners. Adapting to your workflows and processes and doing things your way. Blue Rhythm provides painless and fast onboarding. By bringing your existing workflows, forms, checklists, and issues logs into Blue Rhythm for you. You can use their pre-built templates to customize your commissioning workflows. And Blue Rhythm can fully handle the transition from your current software platform. Blue Rhythm is secure, scalable, and reliable. Backed by amazing support and accessible 24-7 on any Windows, iOS, or Android device. Why are you still using paper and hard-to-control spreadsheets? Start your free Blue Rhythm account today at bluerhythm.com. And now, back to the show. Most engineers are engineers and they're engineers. Now, you have an engineering career and, you know, they don't become coaches, distinguished lecturers. They don't write books. So let's talk about that, right? So you've got this career, engineering career. It's all good. Mom's happy. Dad's happy, right? Everyone's happy. And then you start doing these other things. You do a book and you're a... Just to blow more smoke up your backside, you're also an ASHRAE Distinguished Lecturer, right? You lecture yes, around the world, you have a coaching, you train people. So how did all that happen? Was that an outflow from the book or something that was going on in parallel? Well, I was a sales engineer for 21 years doing right. the same job with the same client with kind of the same product. And right. uh, I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to stay in their comfort zone because yeah. if I'm in my comfort zone... That means I'm not doing anything with my life and I'm worth so much more and I have so much more talent and I have so much that I can do in this life. So I was like, every time I'm feeling comfortable, I do something. I'm like, "Uh oh, I'm comfortable, even with money. If I'm comfortable with money, oh, oh, okay, that means I need to do something here. You know, this is not okay. I need to push myself because if I'm not comfortable, that means I'm transforming. If I'm transforming, that things I'm getting better. So I was doing this job and then I was like, okay, I need something else. And it all started with a distinguished lecture program because now I was speaking, but I was not thinking I was speaking good enough. I was like, I can improve my speaking. So then I started training myself on speaking. And then I was like, wow, I love that stuff. And I love the impact I'm speaking. I like how I was changing lives or actually having people reach out and say, wow, Corinne, I really like what you did, what you said. This really helped me. What would you do? Or my boss is treating me like this. Or I'm a female and I have a hard time with my coworker. People reaching out and I'm like, wow, I can have an impact. And this worth a million dollars because I didn't get zero money. I'm speaking for free, 
but I'm getting back a lot from people. And then I was like, maybe I can do that and get paid. That would be fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to get trained and learn about it. And actually, I was looking at all my speaking schedule and uh, I spoke about 20 times per year since 2018 except the pandemic was like double than that. And 60% of the time is outside of the US. And out of all my topics, the one on emotional intelligence is the one the most requested. It's really Mm. the one that people are asking, they want to know. And I think it's because there is a need. People are struggling because we all have a coworker or a boss that makes us want to quit, right? So if I'm coming and I'm bringing awareness to that person who doesn't know that they're acting like that, then I did something to help and I'm happy about it. That's a good observation because in my view, people don't leave firms, they leave people. They leave a boss they don't like, a team they don't like, a co-worker they don't like. And that is a disaster if you run a firm. It really is. So, yeah. Especially if that could have been resolved through communication. Yeah. You know, when you lose somebody and then you talk to them later on about why they left, whether it was with your own firm or they were just communicating about what, why they left with another firm. And you think that could have been easily resolved, but somebody failed to recognize what was going on and never took the corrective action. And those are the worst ones. So I was really interested on your comment about comfort there. So I had a coach who used to say, Adam, there is a conspiracy of comfort everywhere and you have to break it. You know? That's what true, does that right? mean? What does that mean? That means everyone is secretly seeking comfort. They want this nest of comfort and they want to stay in it, right? And he says, that's a conspiracy. You've got to break that conspiracy. I like yeah. it. I when really you get like comfortable, it. man. That's as you say, it's the time to like slap yourself around the face and say, stop it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's just a segue into engineers frustrate me, right? I've, I've had several businesses like Robert Way. I've run engineers and I've worked with engineers. I lead engineers even now. And They can be super clever, yet not smart, right? So what I mean by that is they're great technically, but their communication skills are terrible. Writing emails, writing memos, speaking, communicating to clients, giving presentations, they all need that polish that they don't have. And I don't think universities give it to them. I mean, my recommendation to the board where I'm at the moment is every senior person needs to go on a copywriting course and a Toastmasters course. Why copywriting? Copywriting is about being concise to the point and communicating really clearly. When I read some of the memos they put out, it makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> what is it like to work for you? What's it like to receive a memo and a report from you? Is that a good experience? And you can see the old wheels turning in their head, you know? So how do we overcome that as an industry? I mean, you're doing your bit. I'm having my little breakdowns every now and again. And trying to do it. But how does the industry like get this polish on? It's not enough just to be a good engineer. How do we solve that's, that? Actually, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I said, well, I can only speak to so many people, right? But a book can be read by everybody. Yes. Yeah. So that was one of the way that I found the magic word here is awareness. Yes. That's really the magic word. Because yeah. if you're not aware, why would you change? You don't know what you don't know. The minute you know, it's too late. You have to yeah. do something about it. If you don't, then it's your decision and shame on you. Yeah. But what I realize is people don't know. And the minute you tell them, they're like, oh, for you, it's super obvious. It's obvious for everybody. But for that specific person, it's not. And just a little openness will make a big difference. Just that little awareness. 
I'm seeing it. And you know, the beauty of it is now being a national sales manager at iAir, I actually practice what I preach and I see it in action. And I'm like, yes, working, (laughs) right? It's, It's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it's working and it takes patience and I'm taking my tools and I'm really trying to walk the talk, but I'm aware. So I think for, to answer your question, how can we change industry is bring awareness. It's really bring awareness and not being able to speak up. If you see somebody, this is what I hear a lot. Oh, this person is like that. Therefore, we accept that behavior. Oh my yeah. God, that kills me. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not because that person is like that, that now we all have to deal with that behavior. That's not an excuse. Oh. So, I mean, both of you know what it's like to be in a committee meeting. And I recall one meeting where an individual requested time to do a presentation on their research work. And there was probably 40 of us in the committee. And so we allowed this individual to take the floor and they proceeded to read their slides word by word. Oh, so, set expectation. What's up? <laughs> so I'm looking at the eyes of my colleagues and no one says anything. Oh, Unfortunately for that guy, I'm not the individual to sit back and let that because so I'm, I quickly start doing mental math. Right. So like 40 individuals at whatever, $200 an hour times how many hours we're going to beat. Like it's an expensive venture to get 40 people's ears. Yeah. And if you're going to sit there and read your slides slide by slide, give us the slides. We can all read. We don't want to see that. We want you to tell us your story in your words. And so in about 10 minutes, I cut him off. <laughs> this and, came out and, <laughs> and this was a PhD. He was a smart individual. And it wasn't meant to be rude, but it was meant to be a wake-up call. That when you come into a committee meeting with that value and you have their ears, be prepared to tell your story or show your story, but don't read your slides. And so that was a big learning lesson for that individual. And Adam, going back to your question, how do you change? Sometimes it takes a two by four. How did an individual get through that level of academia to earn the highest level of recognition with a PhD and obtain research funding, get to a place where he is in front of a room of 40 people and he reads the slides? It's, yes. I don't think it's their fault because nobody is expecting anything different. Nobody's exactly. telling that person, therefore, why would it change? Yep, why, exactly. why, why did he go through all this level of expertise and research and everything? It reminds me in engineering school, most of the professor, they have to teach because they do research. It's part of the package, right? We're yeah. going to have you do research, but you have to teach. They don't like teaching and they're bad at teaching, but they have to do it. I'm on the end receiving this right. and I'm dying. I'm like, oh my God. We're here. Hello. We are students right now. And do you see that we're all sleeping and you don't capture attention? Oh my God. How am I yeah. supposed to learn after that? It's like, it's terrible. You know it's what? Terrible. That is the mic drop. That is truth you heard there, right? Yeah. Most professors <laughs> suck hard at teaching. They don't understand how bad they are because they've been told they're clever, right? Yep. But this is one of the reasons Robert and I do the podcast. People like yourself and some of the people on podcast should be going to universities and rah-rahing people and getting them prepared for the real world, right? Not boring them with, uh, 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 this is my book, turn to page four. Like, 
<laughs> but you know, Adam, I did a presentation in Pretoria, South Africa. And the teacher, the professor came to talk to me after because my presentation was on communication, not yeah. on emotional intelligence, but on communication. And he actually reached out after and he was like, hey, Corinne, so how can I connect with my students? You know, <laughs> it's almost like he was, holy cow, I'm like this. You know, like, <laughs> again, it's the awareness he didn't realize. And then I'm like, here, strong, and you need to connect with your students and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, holy cow. So it was good. It was yeah. good. He got some tips. He got some guides, some tools. And then he realized that everything is good. You know, I can change and maybe yeah. I can connect with my students. Awareness. Awareness. What yeah, is expected? Awareness. You know, that's why it was my question. What's it like to work with you? What's it like to receive something from you? Most 50% of the time, the answer is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't, don't want to be harsh, right? I don't want to be harsh because we're human. Yeah. And the two by four, when you said that, I was like, oh, that's tough. I would rather more like, hey, can we talk? You know, like, it's like, it's like somebody asking feedback after a presentation and you're like, how can I say this, you know, gently? <laughs> because personally, when I get those evaluation form, I cannot look at them for at least two months because oh, <laughs> I'm so sensitive. If there is one bad feedback in a hundred, I'm going to focus on that bad feedback and I'm going, oh my God, I suck. I suck. I suck. You know, so we want to be the best. I want to be good enough. I want to do a good job. So that's your imposter syndrome speaking there. But yeah, self-talk. Robert's right? more in the Bill Gates, Steve Jobs thing. Like halfway for a presentation, they'd shout, you suck. Sit down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> for that particular scenario and other ones like it, it's like you're high level, like you're the top of your game and no one has actually called you on it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I've been soft usually <laughs> for younger presenters as a, serving more of a coaching role, right? But if you get your master's degree and then your PhD and no one has actually called you on your stuff yet, I'm um, sorry, there's a two by four coming. Yeah. <laughs> You're sticking you know? to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not always like that. <laughs> but, but I, I hope but, so. But, no, no, but, so I think, you know, but you're right. I mean, and it's like writing a paper when you get a paper back. And I always look at it. What would it cost me to hire somebody to review and edit this paper? Like what would be the financial cost to me? And someone has done that for free. So they could call me the worst writer in the world. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. And if it's valuable, then it's worth more than the money I would have paid them. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because. This is the whole thing that one of the takeaways from this is engineering's good, Matt, but it's not everything. It's 50, 60% of you. You mm -hmm. still need to bring the other stuff. Yeah. Right? The communication, the delivery, the self-awareness. This is all part of the package. And no one says that to an engineering student ever when they're going for university. Yeah. Not once is that conversation had. And that drives me nuts. And there's no yeah. cheerleading for engineering in college as well. It's just brutal, like uninterested professors. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it, Adam, you bring up a really good point. I'm going to bring this back to something that Kareen said early on when, when you were in the meetings and you brought up an idea and they rejected that idea and then somebody said it 15 minutes later. Here's a lesson for you young engineers that are out there. 
People will steal your ideas yeah. unless you take ownership of those ideas and find a way to communicate to them. Yeah. If you're okay sitting in the back room giving out your ideas and you don't care what happens to them, okay, fair enough. There are some engineers that are like that. Yeah. But if you have an idea and it has value and you want to own that value, you need to be able to stand up for yourself and communicate it. So sidebar, Karine, if you were in that position back in the early days, what would you have done differently so that that idea actually was heard? What would you have done? I said something about it personally. Okay, I said, hey, I just mentioned this, but what I would like to really emphasize is to have everybody's back. It's so much easier when I have a coworker say, hey, Karine just mentioned that than me having yep. to say it. So the support system is very important. I used to work at Home Depot in the plumbing department when I was 16 years old, and that was my favorite job ever. And I remember that when I was working in the fittings aisle and people would come, but they would pass me to go see the guys in the back of the aisle. But these were my friends and they knew I knew my stuff. So when the client, the customer would go and ask them questions, they would say, well, I'm busy. Can you go ask the girl there? And they would look and like, the girl would just pass. Like, we don't want to go ask her. And they supported me. See, it's like, it's a team and we do it for our female counterpart and male counterpart. It doesn't matter because I do it all the time. If I see something wrong, I'm going to say, hey, or I'm going to take their defense. I'm going to speak. And therefore I help them having a voice because it's not always easy to speak up. And 67% of the population is in the steady like communication behavior. So they don't like conflict. They don't like change. They like routine. And in engineering, it's very hard. You know, we have yet the big dominated one, but we have a lot of people that would rather not say anything to not have somebody yell at them or think something else. So what I would have yeah. done differently is I wish somebody would have spoken or supported me. And for me, just doing the same thing. However, remain myself. I don't need to be mean or change my behavior or who I am and my attitude yeah. to be credible, you know? So that's, if I would have to go back, I would totally remain myself, but I would not have a book and I would not do all those presentations and, <laughs> and stories to tell I who I am because of what happened, right? Yeah. And so the lesson there, and I totally agree with you, the lesson there for those that are listening is that unless your idea has the potential for a huge financial gain, then share your ideas. But before you share that to a bigger group, share them with colleagues. So the colleagues know where the idea came from. And when it comes time to get recognition and credit, the people around you know where that idea came from. Otherwise, and someone's going to steal it and they'll squash you. Also, there's a leadership issue here, right? So the person leading that meeting should have been good enough to manage right. that and not Absolutely. have you crushed in that meeting, right? Yep. Again, that's something there's a bit of a lack of in the industry is like high integrity leadership where someone can not make it about them and make sure that meetings run well and everything gets done and business is done and everyone's heard, right? There is a lack of leadership in that meeting, I would say. Yeah, Adam, well, you would have said, hang on a second. Corrine just said that 15 minutes yeah. ago. So, Corrine, do you want to add to that commentary exactly. you made that's exactly before you left the other guy? That's what should have happened, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Even without being like friends, you know, if you're leading yeah. and you're chairing the meeting, you should be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, And this brings me back to also the importance of having a very good mentor in the business. So when I did my internship in California, 
if I would have been offered to come back working for this company, but not with my mentor, I would have not come back. I was very strict with this. I told my mentor, Sammy, I said, Sammy, I want to go back to work, but only if I work for you. I said, because you are the difference maker. You are the best one here and I want to learn from you. And then if I look at IAIR, when I joined them last July, why did I go and I leave a job of 21 years when I was very comfortable, very happy doing the same thing? I love the team. I love the company. Why would I disrupt this? And it's because of a person as well. So yes, I love the company. Yes, I love the product. Yes, I love everything about it. But what really made the difference was, again, the mentor, the VP, Chuck. He's like a Sammy. He's the same way. And he knows everything. He's very technical, very human. And my phone supposed to be on Do Not Disturb. He's God. That's all right. At least I know you're not perfect now. You're human. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm human in a technical world with all the technology. <laughs> so sidebar, I'm going to get you to continue your story, but sidebar. So I was asked to manage a, a meeting and I was just basically coordinating ideas. So the manufacturer said, okay, we want to talk about this. So I led the dialogue and I had my phone turned off. But if you have an alarm, it bypasses the on-off yeah. function. So lessons to those young engineers, if you've got a meeting that it's important, don't bring in your phone because it might ring. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> I wanted to no, use that as a point. learning opportunity. <laughs> it was I embarrassing to say the least. <laughs> Going back to your company. Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so choosing the person. So when I see somebody leaving, I'm always very curious. Yes, you have a good opportunity somewhere else. Man, I had a lot of good opportunities in my 21 years. I had opportunities with way more money, way more responsibility or more benefits or more like a more sexy office, more sexy feel. But no, I was like, I want to stay with my team, with my mentor, because this worth all the money in the world. So Really being a good engineer is amazing. And don't get me wrong, my mentor was super highly technical, but he had also huge, mm. huge, huge human side on him. Yeah. And I learned so much, so much. I was like, wow, I want to treat the people that I work with now the way I was treated by him. I want to build the same team. So this is better than any schools, right? When you can actually yeah, learn it from somebody. Yeah. So yeah. people work for people and people leave people. That is the secret of business that's never said out loud, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That whole treatment of people runs everywhere. It doesn't matter whether it's in commerce, athletics, engineering, academia, it runs through. And I, we've been really lucky on the edifice complex. We've had a lot of PhDs on and they're all just great people. Yeah. You know, great communicators as well. Great communicators. Yeah. And I was down in uh, Mazatlan recently and ran into an academic who didn't know what my field was or what my expertise was, who within 30 seconds was like, I'm here, you're down here, I'm better, you're not. And I was like, <laughs> we were drunk. And <laughs> well, <laughs> can I say that on the show? We were inebriated. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> And fortunately for me, there were some people there that spoke up on my behalf because I was ready to 
have strong words. But right there, like literally this individual within 30 seconds destroyed his credibility. He could have been the smartest, most gifted engineer in the world, but he was an ass. He had a low EQ, man. Totally, right? right? That's entitlement. Yeah. And yet when you look at the people that we've had on the show, that just everybody's been awesome. You know, and Crane, you're going to like change the benchmark. Everybody's going to have to come up higher. (laughs) Well, you're the first person we've had who really speaks to the soft skills side, the EQ side. That's why I was really keen to have you on. So look, we're coming up on time. We normally finish with two quick fire questions. So you will be released back to the wild soon. (laughs) Hey, I'm enjoying this show. Can we keep going another hour? Because you guys are amazing. Oh, you'll be coming on again. this conversation. (laughs) We didn't cover half the things that we wanted to. Yeah. yeah, So we'll definitely get you back. Might have to do a two-part, but I have to get you back on later on. Actually, Joe, we're going to get you back later on to talk about EQ, but we'll come on to that. But just to wrap up then. So my standard wrap-up question is, what should we be talking about that we're not really talking about now? What should the industry be addressing that it's not addressing right now? Well, basically my big idea. So it doesn't matter how smart we are if nobody wants to work with us, right? Yeah. But besides what we're doing, wow, that's a tricky question. I'm not sure. Besides everything what we talk about, something different, basically, that you're but looking for. What drives from. you nuts that's not being said right now? You know, What drives you nuts that's not happening in the industry? I'm such a happy person. It was like, what drives me nuts? <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need the dark side, which is me, right? I'm, yeah, I'm just this walking like ball of anger, like, why isn't it good? <laughs> yeah, what drives me nuts is the pointing fingers. So it's, it's all yeah. related to mm. the same. But we are engineers and we're working in team. We cannot do anything by ourselves. And the pointing fingers is the one that kills me. It's like, oh, no, you did that. You did that. You did that. Like, who cares? Yeah, let's, the blame game sucks, right? No one yeah, wins. So I think yeah. that's the one that kills me the most. Uh, and it's always like that. So it's rare that like, okay, let's move on here. Let's make it work. So <laughs> Before I ask my question, I, have either of you watched the movie RRR? It's from India. No, it's, a great, it's a great story. And it has, it's a metaphor for communication. And essentially what it is, just because we're running out of time, but it's about India when it was under British rule. And there was a story about the abuse that went on. And these two individuals from completely different backgrounds wanted to resolve the problem. And so they had a common purpose, but they didn't know each other. But their tactics and their strategies and tactics were completely different. And it got to the point in the storyline where they were killing each other. They didn't know that they were actually fighting for the same cause. And it wasn't until some circumstances came about that they realized, hey, we're on the same team here. And so anyways, for those that are listening, if you haven't seen the movie, there are parts that you may want to turn it off, but don't. Stick right through it because it's a great metaphor for life and it's a great metaphor for being on the team. And when it's important to let your egos down and understand that there's a greater cause here and that you're fighting for the same thing. I love this. I really love this. I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it's, you know, it's got some hokey stuff too in it, but it's, it's good. Anyways, so I'm... A new graduating student, and I'm in one of your classes, and I realize I'm socially inept, <laughs> and I need to fix it. What's the first step for me? Where do I go? I was asked this question by some students, and I think there is a confusion between, because some of the students would say, hey, Corinne, I'm not bubbly like you. I'm not like you, you know, and I'm like, you should not, you know, my way is not the best way. You still need to remain yourself with your mm-hmm. own personality. However, if you see that maybe you're more shy or maybe you're not good at public speaking 
or maybe you're looking for your words, or maybe you're not good with small talk. Therefore, what can you do to improve this? Are you doing something instead of saying, well, I'm not like this. Okay. So I think just like Adam said, like Toastmaster, I'm part of Toastmaster. And that was an engineering office who started their own Toastmaster in-house. And I was like, this is smart. It's actually a P2S, you know, Ken Peterson's office. And me, the first one's like, hey, can I attend your Toastmaster? Even if I don't work here? And they're like, sure, Karine, come. So (laughs) I would go and then I would see that a lot of young engineers, if they want to move up in the company, they want to become studio leader then they need to be able to communicate better, right? So that's a very good tool. I was so proud that they did that internally. So if a student realized that maybe they're not so comfortable with their social skills, what are you doing for it? Are you Mm -hmm. reading? Are you watching TED Talks? Are you taking classes? Are you doing public speaking classes? Toastmaster? There's so much that you can do. What about reading my book? Shameless plug here. Karina, I think you might be the happiest, bubbliest person I think we've ever interviewed. (laughs) It's contagious, right? (laughs) I think you guys are too. We forget about it, right? Life is too short. Life is too short, yeah. Listen, look, thanks for coming on the show. Well, I think we're going to get you back to talk about EQ. We'll talk about that off camera. But thank you for coming on. It's been a blast. I've really, really enjoyed it meeting yeah. you and talking to you yeah, so yeah, much thanks, fun Karina. oh my god <laughs> i want to be back please bring me back you guys we are too will. fun absolutely <laughs> will. the edifice complex will continue in just a moment are you passionate about the built environment do you want to learn from the industry's most inspiring intelligent and accomplished professionals then the companion to this podcast wisdom of the property crowd is just the book for you from edifice complex podcast interviews This book distills the critical thinking, insight, and ideas of some of the property industry's most accomplished and respected practitioners. Each chapter is a synopsis of an hour-plus interview, capturing the takeaways and insights, including diagrams and images, to help explain concepts and ideas. There's also a brief bio about the interviewee and a QR code linked to the podcast episode for those that want to explore further. These are the mentors you wish you had in college. Wisdom of the Property Crowd by Adam Muggleton. Available on Amazon worldwide. And now, back to the show. Great to have Corrine on. Have we, anybody as bubbly as she is? Like, she, she, was, a, she's the happiest, most go lucky person I think I've ever met in this business, quite frankly. <laughs> it's hard to have a bad day after. T- yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like, we're smiling. Well, we're happy, well, right? Yeah. You just want like, like a little bit of it, you know, just a small, it <laughs> just makes your day go great. Yeah, I mean, if you could put that in a bottle and sell it, you'd do well, right? <laughs> totally. Um, what I really took away from the dialogue, and we're going to get her back on again, like a lot of the guests we have to yeah. get back on, like Tracy, we've got to get back on again. Yes. Anyways, being self-aware, being able to recognize where you are, where you want to go, and what you need to do to get there. I don't even know how you put a value on that, Adam. She dropped a lot of value bombs there, but that, like, be aware, right, is actually a killer Takeaway, right? Be aware of how you influence people, how they react to you, how you sit in that scene, right? Be aware of what you can and can't do. These are not thoughts many people have during the course of the day. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't come across as anybody that would be happy in a rut. 
No, no, no. no. <laughs> you know, she would push herself. And then there's a big lesson in that for people that are listening, that if you sit back at your life and your job and your family, whatever, and you're in a rut, you're out there for a reason. And there's only one person that's going to get you out. And that's yeah. you. That's yourself. And like she said, like you have to put yourself into uncomfortable positions because that's when you know you're in a transition. That's when you're learning. It goes back to the four stages of learning again that we've talked many times about yeah. on the show. What I love is, like, I mean, if I was going to crush Chris, I was an evil, like, oh, I was, I'd put her in a cubicle and say, do spreadsheets, you know, and that would just about destroy oh, her. Oh, yeah, right? But yeah. what I love about her story is, and this is the thing, right? You could go through engineering school and sometimes you come out and you think, God almighty, what was I doing for the last four years, right? But there's still another way to take that qualification, right? Like she has. Yeah, she's not in a cubicle doing spreadsheets. Some people like that. She's not doing that. She's teaching. She's communicating. She's coaching. She's writing books. She's also an engineer. And she's yeah. found a way to do the engineering in sales, which means she can still do the engineering work and do the thing that she has the most strength in. It's almost yeah. like the perfect adaptation of like working out what you can do and what you're good at and then running with it. Right. Yeah. So she had that awareness, right? Yeah. And I wish I could have two or three more lifetimes because in one of the lifetimes that I would have, it would be to be to come back because Queen's a lot younger than I am. I'll be dead before she finishes her career, but would be to come back and hear her 20 years from now or 25 yeah. or 30 years from now. Because, I mean, she already has a ton of wisdom and she's got that infectious personality like a lot of people that we've had on the show. But in 30 years time, her knowledge and her wisdom will be exponential. And she's one of those individuals that she's happy to share. Like if she can improve anything and everything around her from the people that she's into, the systems, the processes, to whatever, she just is that kind of personality. Everything around her will improve. Absolutely right. I mean, the chance of her being unemployed is zero. And this is the thing. For all you engineers that look down on salespeople, think about this. If you can sell, and if you can sell technical engineering and technical products, you're going to win everyone. You're going to earn the most money. You're never going to be unemployed, and you'll always have something to do, right? So next time you look down that salesman who rolls in your office, think about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. The person that never gets fired is the person that can sell, period. Any business. Yeah. Undervalued. You can find people to do public relations. You can find people to do marketing. But sales, that's a character trait that if you've got it, it fits in you, like it's a gem. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. I mean, whatever industry you're in, someone once said to me, nothing happens until you sell it. I don't remember who said that, but that has always stuck with me. And it doesn't matter whether it's an idea or a product, but the ability to get that to be able to sell particularly technical products is a real skill set, you know? Also, think about this, right? So there is a natural demand for products and services, but a great sales team, a great sales person can generate demand in excess of that. Yeah, that absolutely. Is yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi, like Jedi mind trick game, right? Yeah. You know, these are the droids you're looking for and they cost blah, blah, blah. And the... Other side of this, just to put this into perspective for those that might be considering the sales engineer role, we would have oftentimes dialogue about when we were adding bench strength to our company, looking at places to get people. And we talked to individuals in the organization or even the industry associations, like how do we sell more of these products? How do we sell our ideas? And I would look at them and I say, if you're relying on a individual or a group of individuals to sell your idea, 
if they're so good at what they do, they would be working for you. Yeah. But if they're not good enough to work for you, what makes you convinced that they're good enough to sell your ideas when they're not yeah. on your payroll? Yeah. So stop looking at those individuals that if you wouldn't hire them for your own company, they're not the people for you. No. You want the salesperson. So if I'm a young student and I'm looking at the sales engineering route, the message there for you is that you want to be that person on the other side of the desk that can sell on behalf of that company or sell for that company or somewhere in the chain, you will add value to that organization. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get the pass. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy, you know, our previous guest, Jumper, there's a person that even in her role, like she, because of her personality, you want to listen to her. Yeah, she's infectious. Yeah. Yeah, it's infectious. And Karina is the same way. And, you know, when they bring those big personalities to them, you're always going to give them at least the first look at what's going on. You're not going to close the door. How could you close the door on Karina? <laughs> no, it's again, it's, you know? it's yeah. an undervalued skill, it's an undervalued job, right? This is my old, uh, your, oh, you're a senior engineer speech. So you're a senior engineer now. You're leading the team, right? Okay. You're now in the persuasion business, right? You're persuading people to do things. You're persuading people to work like you're persuading people to buy your services. You're persuading people everywhere you go, right? So yeah. be good at persuading people. That's sales ultimately, right? It's a persuasion game. Yeah. I mean, both you and I have taken NLP training and I haven't practiced because in that for a long time. But I'm certainly keenly aware that if I'm trying to make, get a message across and it's not happening, that, look, it's my issue. Yeah, it's you. Completely. You know, it's the way, and it's time to step back. Sometimes it's hard, that self-awareness that Queen talked about, sometimes that's hard, particularly when you get when you get triggered. Yes. And she brought that up, like, is, is that being aware of yourself and the triggers and then, and in her animated way, made her very clear that sometimes your response is inappropriate. It's too quick. You haven't actually taken a deep breath and said, okay, how should I actually be responding to this? As someone that's been trained in NLP, do you bring self-awareness all the time to your meetings or is it now is it so automated? I try to. So one of the things I teach you at NLP is to listen, like really listen, like who's visual, who's auditory, who's kinesthetic, and then track tailor your responses. Like if someone says, I see, and they all, then you need to communicate. So she was saying like, you communicate with people the way you want to be communicated to. So when I'm communicating out, I'm doing diagrams and stuff because I'm visual, right? Yeah. But if I see in a meeting someone is visual or primarily auditory or whatever, I've got to tailor my message that way, right? So yeah, I'm always exactly. listening to people say, oh, I hear, that sounds good. That tells me yeah. they're auditory, mostly. doesn't mean they don't see. So that's one of the things NLP really does for you. It teaches you to really listen and like analyze what's coming in and then respond accordingly, right? You're getting yeah. a message across not how you want it, how they need it. And that's yeah, really what she was saying, right? Yeah, exactly. And I first learned that not because I had any NLP training. It was just that I was trying to communicate to an engineer. It was actually, it was, I was actually promoting at the time brace plate heat exchanges. So for those that are listening, this is going back. So this would have been like 1987, 1986, 1987. Back in the day. People didn't, I mean, they looked at that and they thought that was for a Barbie doll set. Like, <laughs> This can't be the real heat exchanger. Anyways, I uh, brought the catalog into the engineer. I can just picture it as, as if it happened yesterday. And I put it in front of him and I started to show him like the graphs and whatever. And he just looked at me, right? 
and he had said, so tell me about the product. And it didn't dawn on me at the time because I was I was so eager to try to convince this person that this was the next greatest thing. And he transferred And your visual, I would say, from this discussion, right? <laughs> That's two key words. If someone says, show me, typically, yeah. if someone says, tell me, typically auditory. Right. Yeah. So exactly. You respond yeah. to that, but you've got to pick that cue up and then immediately on the fly respond to it. It's yeah. Just, and this is what Green's in the business of. Uh, this, these little things, they sound so ridiculous. But when you use them, they are super powerful. Yeah, and she described the toolbox. And we talked about communication in this particular subject, so, which yeah. means we've got to get her back because there's lots of things in the toolbox. Yeah. The, the emotional quotient, emotional intelligence. And you're right. Like Those are tools. And being able to manage those tools on the fly yeah. So you have to be aware of how the person or persons, because it can get complicated when you have multiple people in the room, yeah. how they need to take information in and how you need to deliver that. So that, yeah. and again, I said that in our talk is that, you know, the meaning of your communication is the response you get. So if the response you're getting isn't like, they're not understanding what you're trying, you've got to stop the strategy that you're using and find a different way. Yeah. Even to the extent of saying, like, if it's really getting awkward, Listen, this isn't, obviously we're not communicating here. What's the best way for me to pass on what I want you to know? Like, tell me how you want the yeah. information to come. There's nothing wrong with that because no, nothing. still owning the responsibility for the communication. What you're saying is I'm clearly not hitting the market. <laughs> tell me what you need, right? Right. But what you said earlier, you own the responsibility for that meeting, that message, that persuasion. That is on yeah. you, right? So you got to own it. Yeah. Someone explained that to me and said, listen, if you speak Chinese and you need to send a message to somebody who speaks Italian, they're not going to learn Chinese. No. You need to learn Italian. Yeah, correct. That's just the way it is. Or yeah. find an interpreter because you're the one that has the message. It's your responsibility to deliver it. You need to find a way that the receiver can take it in and then process it. And if you can't, you're lost. All right. 100%. But yeah, that was a... Just remember, that was a great episode. I feel quite upbeat and chirpy after. <laughs> Thank you, Corinne. Yeah, thanks very much. Okay, mate, yeah. I'll see you hey, on Adam, the next well, Before you go, before you go, before you go, I think, because we've had such great guests, and they're all so connected, and they we've not even touched their circles of friends. Yeah. I want our listeners to think about this, and Adam, do you think about this, that maybe in the future we ask our guests, who else should we be getting on? Actually, that's a great question to finish with, actually. Like, who... Do you know that we should be speaking to right now? Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Actually, I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I didn't know Corinne until Tracy pointed me in her direction. Right. And then. Well, and I was talk about people being in your face and things not connecting. Yeah. I met Corinne at Ashray many, many years ago through a colleague, Devin Abalon, who's also a great guy. And I knew about her. I walked into the bookstore, the Ashray bookstore. There's her book right there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm right in front of your face. So I know her and I know the book, you know, and it's like, well, why couldn't I, you know, like my brain, I don't know where it is. Maybe it's old age. <laughs> but when you sent me the note that, yeah, we're going to have Korean, I thought, yes, like that just made so much sense. So yeah, I just throw that out to anybody that's listening and to our other guests past, who should we be interviewing? Because yeah, we've had great people on and we're going to continue to have great people on. And I just, I want to keep building that up. And we next time when we're on, you're going to be able to plug your own book, Adam. I want people to know about your book. Actually, we should do that now. Yeah, I might do a little promotion on that, actually. That's a good idea. Okay, well, this is going to come out in the fall, and if you haven't got Adam's book yet, you need to get it. Get it now. Please be. 
I can see Adam doing several series. He, he hand-selected a number of our previous guests, yeah. built a book about the wisdom that they shared, and that must have been really hard to do because everybody oh, has been so good. I, yeah. I, I, salute, uh, <laughs> I salute Green's discipline. When she said she did that in six weeks, I felt so inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to over a year. Let's get all that wisdom out there, and you've got it into a book form now. And there'll be other ones, I'm sure, coming out as you sort of yeah. go through the other guests, and that's great because ultimately the wisdom that these people are leaving behind are for the people that they're leaving behind, the students that are coming up. Yeah. You know, those are trying to figure out what to do with their careers, and I can't think of a better way of doing it than the podcast. And, of course, your book puts some of that stuff into writing, which is awesome. Cool. All right, mate. On that happy note, I'll see you on the next one. Okay, <laughs> Adam. Cheers. See ya. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.